And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 615. Going to continue on our recapping of the MLB hot stoves since last Monday's episodes, about a week's worth of action. Kind of a couple big names got moved. Just going to throw it out there. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about them. I will talk about some steamer projections because the last time my guest was on the show, we kind of talked about projections, accuracies, and everything like that because he does a lot of you know, um, modeling is what I call. There's many ways to go about getting um, their rankings and whatnot. So steamers out. We're obviously waiting for the other ones to follow, but we'll talk about some standouts that maybe good, bad, ugly. We'll see in the steamer projection world and much more because he's always a great guy to talk about. You can find this gentleman on the Twitter at breaking Ben underscore T. Ben Tid, thanks for joining me again. Hey, Bubba, thanks for having me again. It's uh, it's actually kind of been a, been a while now, but uh. <laughs> I need I need the break I think from uh, talking baseball, but um yeah, so I'm excited to get back into 2024. Yep, 2024, and that's kind of how I like I know you kind of take a breather. Certain guys take a breather. I kind of let guys go for a little bit, and then I wait until I see some more tweets maybe coming out or at least interest getting perked up. I'm like, okay, text messages will start coming out. Like we're gonna start doing this thing, and uh, it'll it'll be a lot of fun to kind of get your thoughts on these things and um, especially the steamer stuff. I'm looking forward to that because. You sent me a little behind the curtain stuff that you've already been kind of peeking at, and it'll be cool to see how your um, your modeling, I guess, and if I if I'm saying it wrong, correct me, but your modeling kind of compares to what you're seeing in the steamer world. So that'll be be fun as well. Let's talk hot stove though. We'll start there. Um, and I was joking with Curland, who I had on last week, Mike Curland. We had, it was on Monday, so it's been about a week, and. Uh, we were like, okay, Soto's dominoes falling any minute. And we know Shohei's going to sign. He wants to sign before the end of the week at the meetings. Like these things are all going to happen, but we don't need an emergency podcast for these. A lot of it's common sense stuff with a couple dominoes. We'll I'll recap it next week. No biggie. So let's do this. But let's start with the top one Shohei Otani. Now, Twitter was made for days like Saturday. That's what Twitter was made for. Like we've seen other issues where, you know, people get into some spots we just want to log off Twitter for. The Shohei drama in Toronto on Saturday was what Twitter was built for. And uh, that was entertaining as all get up. By the end of the day, he's still chilling in L.A. By the next day, he puts on his Instagram, he's becoming a Dodger. And he's a Los Angeles Dodger. What were your thoughts on that whole, I guess, let's say 36 hours of fun we experienced with Shohei Otani? Well, luckily for me, I didn't expend too much energy over because I wasn't really on Twitter on Saturday. But um, lucky you. Seeing the aftermath was kind of funny. Like people were hating on John Morosi, who I always really liked, and uh, like people were calling for him to like lose his job or something. I'm like, all right, it's a little. He definitely swung and missed on the report. I get that. Like, of course, with Sotani, like so everyone wants to be first to report it. But um, yeah, I mean, in terms of fantasy baseball impact, it didn't really affect us too much. I don't think no matter where he went, because he's probably gonna go to a good team. Um, he's going to be the DH. He's not pitching this year anyway. So we, we knew all those things. Um, I think the most annoying thing for me is that it's all de- like most of it's deferred money. And um, as a Yankee fan, the Dodgers have kind of been like the not direct like rival for the Yankees. because they never like, they're not a rival, but like it's like the, it's the other big team that mm-hmm. does a lot of spending like the Yankees. We'll talk about their moves eventually, too. But um, it's just I, it's, I'm fine with them getting them, but I want them to pay all that salary like now. <laughs> I don't want them like in 20 years to still be paying the salary. Like it's, I feel like it's like, it's like a cop out almost, but um, yeah, that, that top of the lineup for the Dodgers will be interesting. And uh, looking forward to see how the, the run scoring goes in LA next, this upcoming season. Yeah. Uh, to the, to the financial aspect, you and me both. Uh, one of Wait, the, especially both, you. Yeah. As a Giants fan. Cause two things is we over here on the West coast, we call the Dodgers, the Yankees of the West, the way they spend money. They're like they, they made their peas in a pod just on opposite ends of the country. Um, and different leagues. 
But when I heard the, cause like I even tweeted out, I'm like, okay, I'm really curious to see, you know, I figured it'd be an opt out or two. No opt outs. He's there for the whole duration of the contract unless he gets traded. Uh, and then $700 million, you're thinking, okay, 70 mil a year. I'll take a hit on a team eventually. That's going to hurt. Like, that's cool. No, he diverted most of it till like he's like the next Bobby Bonilla, basically, and it's not going to matter. And he wants the Dodgers to keep spending money to make great teams around him, which is a brilliant move. Like, this is a genius thing. And I, I even tweeted, I'm like, no opt-outs, deferred almost all his money. He truly is a unicorn because that's the joke you make. You know, he's pitcher hitter. He's just not a normal person that's just money hungry at all. He's just cool. Just, he's probably making billions on endorsements in L.A. anyways. He doesn't care about the contract. He wants to go win rings because he realizes if he's on TV in October, that money keeps getting higher and higher. So he's, he's a happy man. But, uh, yeah, it was a fun time on Twitter. I'm with you. The Morosi thing, was it bad for journalism? Yeah, it was horrible. Like, there's no doubt about it. He'll probably won't use those resources anytime soon, put it that way. Let's just go with that one. But um, And he might take a little breather, you know, log out for a bit, as we like to joke about. Yeah. But uh, he'll be back. MLB Network will have him on TV again. John Heyman and Bob Nightingale have lasted this long on a horrible work. Like, John Rossi can make it as well. It's, it's, you're eventually going to strike out at some point in time. This was, yeah, for rough, sure. this was just a rough one. <laughs> it's just a, a tough one. But Okay, so you mentioned the run production part. Let's talk fantasy for a second. Oh. <clears throat> Mookie Betts. You know, he's already a beast last year, you know, 200 plus runs in RBIs. I've seen people saying 250 plus, uh, you know, Freddie Freeman's a monster. gets on like, the average driving in runs right now. They're projected to have bets. Shohei Freeman, Will Smith is the top four in the order. It's filthy. Absolutely filthy. So the question I have for you, cause I saw it uh, posted a couple places. Mookie bets right now through the last 11 draft champions drafts, a little over a month's worth of time is the fourth player off the board. It goes Acuna, Bobby Whip, Julio Rodriguez, Mookie Betts and Corbin Carroll's almost tied with Mookie Betts. It's like 4A, 4B. Would you still have Mookie in that potential order or does he move up for you with this Shohei deal? Yeah, this is tough. So we were alluding to it before I got, before we started recording. I haven't really started my ranking process yet. So um, this is kind of just me going from the seat of my pants. But it's so with the steals environment, it's tough because Mookie is um, not going to steal like the guys going around him. Like Corbin should get like, maybe 40 more steals potentially than Mookie. And that's going to be very impactful, even in, with like so many more steals available. Um, and I, I kind of highlighted this for later on when we do our uh, steamer review, but um, like Mookie's profile, you can, so like I understand the run and RBI potential, but like you, you don't want to pay for someone's ceiling um, unless it's like late in a draft, like with your first round pick, you really want to make sure you hit it. Like Mookie, he had like a career career year last year. So a you're paying for that kind of now that I'm now that he's going this early. And now there's the expectation that he's going to do even better, which is asking a lot because he had a really great year last year and like, he's going to score a lot of runs. Um, but like we saw this past year with Toronto, like they disappointed with Vlad and, Bichette and Springer, um, like we thought they'd be a better offense. Like I'm not comparing them apples to apples, but it's like that same kind of this, like scenario where the whole team just kind of underperformed. Um, but like you mentioned the top four, it's as good as it is, as good as any team in baseball, probably better than the Braves, I, I would say. Yeah. Um, I would be hesitant to get to move them up with those past those steals guys. Um, but I could see why you'd want to, because I, I, I understand how valuable having that many runs um and RBIs from your first round pick is it's uh, I think it's overlooked a lot when you're, when people are, are analyzing players, they, they tend to fo focus more on the homers and steals and even the average now. And 
RBIs and runs kind of get thrown away. But I mean, regardless of who you take, you're going to get a lot of runs and RBIs from this pick anyway. But um, I, I think the people are like, I mean, it happens with like players all the time. Like people see these monstrous outcomes and they expect it when they take these, uh, they choose these players at these picks. So I don't know. I, uh, I have to do some more digging before I can say for sure, but I, I just caution people from getting way too excited. Yeah, I don't disagree with you because I know even before the show, hey, deal, it really hasn't changed my thought process so much because in my head is, yes, they're going to be a juggernaut, but you're basically saying, is he going to be the next Ronald Acuna? Is, like, is that what you're going for? I don't think so. Like you mentioned, the steals is, is a big part. Is he going to be very good? Yes, Mookie Betts going to be very good as long as he's healthy. There's zero denying that, but it's like you kind of were mentioning, so are the rest of like the top 10 in the draft. Like They're all going to be really good if they don't get hurt. And one thing I've noticed myself, I've had anywhere from pick – I had Acuna at one in a really early draft. I think I've been like four, six, and something else in a draft. And my four and six, it was between Tatis and Carroll for me. Like that's where I've been going. I, I'm a believer in Tatis. That's a whole other discussion probably for another show. But I'm a, a believer in that scenario, and then Corbin Carroll, kind of what you were mentioning with that, that just that difference in the in the in the stolen base. Like he's going to score a ton of runs. He's going to score drive in his runs. He's going to hit you know 25 plus home runs. But the stolen bases to me is what I value more. Now other people might value other things differently. That's the beauty of the draft. Everyone's got a price. Everything's different. And again, it's nothing against Mookie Betts. Like per se, Carroll went second and Tatis went third, and now Betts is at four. I might take Mookie Betts. Like that's that's a fun conversation, but. Um, Again, this is December 11th as we record, and a lot can still change. But it's just a fun discussion point because everyone's like focused initially on the show. Hey, deal. But there's trickle-down effects. Like Freddie Feeman's still a back-of-the-first-round talent. If he hits 330 again, good Lord. The other com- comment I will make, though, and I, I, I'll Ryan was in the chat here, second Bloomfield, and I, I, we were texting about it when it happened. The, my only question is the team's still only going to score X amount of runs. So either someone's going to get them all or it's going to get spread out and it kind of waters it down. It's one of those kind of scenarios. I think we looked like uh, like Austin Riley. Really good year. The runs and RBIs weren't what you'd expect from a like guy in the Braves offense because Acuna and the others did all the damage. So it's just one of those things. Like Again, you're, you're grasping at straws. You're, you're, you're trying to predict the future. But um, it's hard to kind of suggest they're all going to flourish at the same level, same rate. And that's where it kind of gets interesting. Yeah, looking at the Dodgers lineup right now in roster resource, the bottom half isn't that good. And no. you have to consider that when it comes back around for Mookie's hundred percent when, when he comes up because like that's RBI opportunities that may not be there for other yeah. players. Um like I'm not saying like if we go back to the Diamondbacks, I'm not saying they have a better back of the lineup, but um if you're considering like Julio, I don't know. Like I'd have to look at all the lineups, but it's just something to think about because right now it's protected for James Outman, Chris Taylor. Hayward and Gavin Lux, six through nine. I mean, they used to be good, but they're not the best yep. anymore, you know. Um, so there's something, but like I know we're nitpicking, but you have to do that with your first round uh, 100%. players. So, and again, like we'll we'll wrap it up here before we move on to someone else. But we're not saying Mookie's a bad pick. We're just saying there's reasons why it's not an automatic. Like, yes, you have to push him here. Like that's just kind of the there's conversation points to it. It is nitpicking because that's what, like you said, we have to do. This uh, so I love how we went from Otani to like a Mookie discussion, <laughs> but it's a fun discussion. Yes, but, it like, is. I, like I told you before the show, like Shohei, Shohei, like especially yeah. this year, he's util only. He's going like in the back, you know, third to half of the first round. I think that's fair. Like we'll, we'll have that discussion real quick. Where would you have Shohei? Because I'll, I'll give you his ADP. And again, I know you haven't done your research. This is all just fun speculation stuff. Mm-hmm. He has an ADP of around fourteen nine. Like please go between pick fourteen fifteen to turn in a DC right now. 
Like, are you good with that? Would you move him up because he's in that Dodgers order? You know, previously the, the Angels thought or free agent world, but now he's a Dodger. Would that push him up a bit for you? Again, UT only for those that care. Yeah, so if he well, has he's got like picture a, eligibility, which you're not using him. Let me clarify that before someone corrects right. me. <laughs> yeah, make sure if you're doing a gladiator, you don't do yeah. that. Um, yeah, I think if he has if he's out like um, Tatis was last year, I would be fine with that because I think Tatis was going a little later, but I think Otani's a better hitter um, than Tatis. So I, it really depends on like what the timeline is come spring training. Um, when I start drafting in January, I'll I might have to make that decision like quicker without that information. Um, but yeah, I think where he's going is fine for now. And I, with some room for profit, I would imagine too. Here's a fun one for you then. Um, I'll throw it out because he's dropped tremendously. Jordan Alvarez is the other UT guy. Well, he's outfield eligible actually now. That's mm. good. Uh, but you kind of compare him to a util situation. So he's going like a pick 18 and Shohei's going at, let's say, 15. Would you still go Shohei over Jordan? In, in a vacuum for the Steels, i go Otani over him. Even with okay. um, the UT uh, – um, factored in. What and I had JD Martinez on team last year, and it, it was kind of annoying, especially like in a in a deep NFBC league. Um, but I mean, he's really good, and you, at that point, you just really want the best stats possible. Hundred percent. So I was going to go on with some more, but I'm like, yeah, let's just have some fun. Let's enjoy Shohei, and let's move on to some other <laughs> ones here. Uh, and we'll go to your backyard. I know this is something you're very happy about. We kind of joke tweeted back and forth about it because Juan Soto is a New York Yankee. It was pretty much writing on the wall. It was just. A, like we almost knew all the details to it for almost felt like two days, but it was just they're kind of nitpicking at finalizing maybe medicals and stuff. You know, Soto goes to the Yankees for Michael King, Drew Thorpe, Randy Vasquez, Johnny Brito, and Nicholas Justice. Let's first focus on the important part to you. Uh, Juan Soto is now a New York Yankee, and he goes into a very, very loaded team. Soto has an ADP of around 13, 14 right now. He's going right, right before Shohei, basically. Uh, and what are your thoughts on Juan Soto in the, the Bronx? I was very happy. This is what like really got me going, like excited for the baseball season once this happened. Cause I was kind of like, there wasn't much news really going on until this for me. And uh, so I'm really looking forward to it. The one thing that's kind of scary is that he's not going to resign until after the season. So yep. there's still the chance that it's only a one year thing, but I mean, I'm going to enjoy it. Cause yeah, King was good, but he literally fractured his elbow throwing a pitch two years ago and he's 28. And he was great for the Yankees last year, and I, I I like him this year in drafts. I think I will, but um, yeah, you like you can't pass up that deal for Soda. I don't think. And like, I was going back and forth with Curlin a bunch too about like where he's going to hit, like whether Judge will be before him or um, who's going to hit second. And so I'm looking forward to seeing how the lineup works. I it's going to help Judge a ton, and whoever hits leadoff is going to should score a ton of runs. Um, so it's really going to help the lineup a lot. They they definitely needed to make a big splash like that, and they feel like the Yankees again. And I'm I'm excited to watch them uh, play uh, this season. Yeah, no, it's going to be pretty darn awesome to see him there. He started getting comfortable towards the end of the season with the Padres. You know, he's battling injuries and everything. In the end, still had pretty good Soto numbers. Now a healthy year in New York. Um, could be fun. I know others like Ryan has pointed out that um, part factors-wise, you think, you know, you just run to the lefty and it's not. It, it's better for power, but drains the batting average. Juan Soto might be an exception, let's put it that way. It's the way he hits the baseball. We'll wait and see, but it will be interesting. We'll we'll plug Curlin's website a lot more once he gets all his teams up there. But it's, uh, he's 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 building basically an opponent to roster resource plus some other content. I do like it. It's not just me liking Mike Curlin. Is is um, he's gives you more options in, in a smaller thing. So we'll kind of play with it and see once he's all finalized with that. But it'll be interesting. Like, do you put him in front of Judge because of his OBP skills? Do you put him 
behind it to like you know mix up the you know lefty righties all that kind of fun stuff will be something to see i want to talk to you about the yankees rotation before we get over to some of these pieces that went to the padres so now can we do one thing real quick yeah what you got so while we're we just had bets fresh in our minds okay so the one thing i added to the show notes was i think there's a chance that soto out earns bets this year okay um i can't argue that if you look at steamer projections um Soto is the uh, seventh best or eighth best hitter. Betts is the eleventh best hitter. So um, they kind of think the same thing right now, potentially. And that's pre-Dodgers uh, trade or the Shohei trade. But um, in terms of skill set um, and projection, like uh, stat profile, I, they're very similar players. Um, it's just that Soto was on a worse team than Betts, and now he's on the Yankees and maybe in front of Judge. I think his run potential is just as high as Mookie's is, and um, Soto's going at the end of the first. So if you have a late round pick. And 15s, or if that's like the start of the second and 12s, um, I think he's a great pick uh, there. And the Yankees were more aggressive, I think, last year stealing bases with like Volpe and um, some of the other young guys. So he may even steal more because I think he stole like six bases or something in, in September. I remember he had a ton of steals yeah. late in the season. So, um, yeah, that's one thing I saw looking at the super projections that I wanted to bring up. So I figured just throw it in there now while we're still talking about it. But Perfect. I think that's something to – I think that could happen. That's like a bold prediction almost for me, I think, for next year is Soto could finish ahead of bets. And, I'm, and that was before I, I tweeted this out on the 30th of November before the trade even happened. So I'm more biased now, but I wasn't biased then. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see because obviously the, the lineup dependency will factor in a lot of those statistics. But I'm with you. Soto is still so darn young. I think you know he had a rough year last year. Plus, you mentioned the Padres were underachievers, to say the least. So there's a lot of, a lot of issues there in San Diego. And it wasn't just all one Soto that you can point to and um he's going like two picks after Aaron Judge. Judge is going for him. Honestly, I think I I had my outfield rankings come out a couple days ago. I think I have Soto ahead of Judge now that I think about it cuz I got some flack on the Aaron Judge stuff. Of course, cuz you know, any major market on Reddit decides to have some fun with you when you when you don't appreciate their players. I got flack for Max Muncy one time. That was fun. Um yeah. But uh Judge a couple picks before Soto. That'll be an interesting debate going into the season. Power versus maybe more of a five category guy type thing. And cause I just don't believe judge is the stolen base guy. We saw that one time, but uh, we'll wait and see. But that's a whole nother like discussion point, but the Soto versus bets is fun. I like that angle. And uh, those are the kind of things we look at, at in draft seasons, like especially KDS wise. Now, if you're comfortable with that, you can go back into the first round, double dip real quick before, you know, wait to the front type scenarios. And that's uh, definitely an angle to approach things. Mm-hmm. Now pitching staff Yankees. I know they're not done. This is very clear. Like they're gonna, the fact they traded for Soto means they're kind of going for things now. We're gonna start playing Yankee baseball again on the on the market. So you have Cole, Cy Young winner, no problems. Question mark in my world still with Carlos Rodon, Clark Schmidt, who I like, but the strikeout stuff needs to get better because he can't just keep relying on soft contact. Nasty Nestor injured a ton last year, and then right now they have Clayton Beater as the fifth. I don't know. I'm guessing they'll address that already, but. Um, what's your thoughts on this rotation? Cause you can have all the offense in the world, but the, the pitcher's got to show up. Yeah, it's definitely scary. I, so they met with the Yamamoto, the Yankees did today. Uh, hopefully they sign him. Um, I'm just going to say, no, it now. I going think to the giants, you don't understand this. No, oh, he's going to the giants. Okay. The giants <laughs> <know> the giants. <laughs> well, no, I mean, honestly though, if, if he doesn't sign with the Yankees, I think uh, Montgomery would be a great signing from the comeback. I mean, he may hate their guts now, which is fine. I was about to say that'd be an interesting, I'd like to be a fly on the wall in that room. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. They have to like do some, apo- send out some apologies first before they can even talk. Um, 
But uh, I mean, he made it to the playoffs without them. So I guess I don't know. It wasn't all bad. Um, but yes, it's it's definitely not looking good. Uh, it's kind of ironic that last year the Yankees pitching carried them, and now it looks like it's going to be the opposite going into next year right now. But um, yeah, looking at the minor leagues. Yeah, they need they need to sign somebody. <laughs> yeah, because they traded like Drew Thorpe was a guy that I know the the tool shit guys were on my show said he should get called up early in the season. You know, Randy Vasquez made spot starts, Johnny Brito made spot starts. They're all gone. <laughs> yeah, they were their backups last year when yeah. everyone was injured. Yep. So yeah, I'm curious to see where that goes. But just like a quick, just for fun, how much faith do you have in Carlos Rodon this year? Not a lot. Like you look yeah. at him, he's not in the best of shape and. Like he had those, he had that year and a half run where he was like finally healthy, and he's thirty-one. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I forget who. T- I think it was baseball um, podcast tweeted something, and I looked at the comments, and like there, of course, it was his birthday. The Yankees tweeted out, and like everyone was just roasting him already. Like, mm-hmm. uh, it's, they're brutal Yankee fans, but um, yeah, I don't know. He, uh, I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt. Like it was just one year. Like it, ha- it can happen to any pitcher, but um. He's really got to pitch that contract now because he's, he's getting paid a lot of money. Yeah, uh, I mentioned to you earlier that I'm going to drop my SP rankings either Monday afternoon or Tuesday on my sub stack. And um, Carlos Ronaldo was one of the hardest guys for me to rank. I, I, I'd have to go back and look. I think he's in my 70s, maybe 80s. I just don't trust him at all. His ADP is much better than that, but I have zero desire to draft Carlos Ronaldo. So uh, that'll be fun to see how that plays out. Now the flip side of things. Let's look at San Diego just real quickly. Um, their pitching staff is interesting because, you know, they lost the NL Cy Young winner, but you, know, you have Joe Musgrove, you Darvish is who he is, but Michael King, Randy Vasquez slot in. They're going to make some more moves, it looks like. But you mentioned Michael King. His ADP is 145, so he's not free by any means. But is that something of interest for you? Yeah, potentially. He, he has great strikeout upside. Um, and that's kind of – like at that – at that ADP range, you still want some um, security though. So I guess like if you went pretty safe with your first two or three starters, I could see definitely going to him as your third or fourth. Uh, I'll try to get him at least on one team, but um, it's, it's it might be a tougher division now because you have to deal with Colorado. Um, the Dodgers, like we talked about, are going to be great. Uh, the D-backs are up and coming. Um, hopefully your Giants improve a little bit. And um, yeah, so I, and I, I forget if we were recording when I mentioned this, but like his his um his injury history, like he he literally fractured his elbow a couple years ago from throwing a pitch, and that's that's an awful injury to have, I, I imagine. So, um, yeah, the the starting thing worked for half a season, so you, we still have to wait and see if it's going to work for the the full season. I hope it does for him, but um, I, yeah, he's like a good guy to take a flyer on. I think I wouldn't like want to be too heavily invested in him, but um, I would I definitely want to try to get him uh, come draft season. Yep, I'm a fan of his as well. I love the improvements we saw. I'll just throw out to the listeners. Um, Drew Thorpe is going around pick 500 over the last 11 DCs. He will be up at some point if you want to play that game in DCs and redrafts. Maybe not so much. We'll have to wait and see. The other question for the Yankees, they traded for Alex Verdugo from the Red Sox. Kind of surprising to see those two teams uh, shake hands on something, but we got Verdugo going to the Bronx. What's your thoughts on Alex Verdugo in pinstripes? He has an ADP of 340 right now. I think that's a great price for him. Um, he's never been someone I've been into in fantasy just because of his power and speed profile. Like he's a much better real life player than he is a fantasy player. So from the Yankee perspective, I, I really like the trade. Um, they didn't really give up too much. Like I think the biggest name was uh, Greg Weissert and uh, he didn't even do that well for them last year. He was a reliever, 
But I think uh, Verdugo could hit leadoff. I think he should. Right now, Rush Resource has um, LeMahieu batting leadoff. But I think Verdugo, at this at this point in their careers, he's just a better hitter. And I think they could go Verdugo, Judge, Soto to lead to start off the lineup. Curlin thinks um, it, it would be Soto second, Judge third. But I think well, I think Judge is penciled in for or like penned in for two because he's the captain. Like it's his team, and he does great batting second. Um, and I think if Verdugo hits lead off in front of those two guys, he could score a lot of runs. And uh, that price reminds me of um, Brandon Nemo from two years ago because he was going around 300 and he was a leadoff hitter. And I think uh, on a decent lineup. Um, so I think Verdugo is a could definitely profit um, at that ADP. Yeah, I'm with you. If he's towards the top of the lineup, which I agree he should be based on his OBP skills, get on base for these big boppers, then, yeah, that's a great price tag. Now, if they put him towards the bottom of the order – with a bit of an issue again. So right. I guess it's that whole game. And I will say with these ADPs that are out there, uh, DCs are all slow drafts right now. So I don't know what he's gone in recent drafts. He might be going even higher than that. Uh, that's just kind of, he's gone as high as, um, let's look at a different guy. Verdugo's gone as high as 278 with ADPs uh, 340. So just keep that in mind. He might climb up coming into the Bronx. Something to think about. All right. Some other ones here is we've got the bigger ones out of there, but we still have some good moves this past week. Craig Kimbrell signed with the Baltimore Orioles uh, on Wednesday, day after the relief pitcher pod with me and Bloom, where we talked about this. Um, it made sense. The Orioles, it's a one, it's a one-year deal with an option for a year two. Basically, I think it's the option in case Felix isn't ready type thing. But Kimbrell was going to sign with the team that he got the chance to close on. Better for Yainar Cano to uh, set up like he was before. Currently, um, Kimbrell's ADP is not going to be accurate. It's two thirty. I will say in the DC I'm in right now, went about 140. So uh, I think that's more the world you're going to see with Craig Kimbrell. And, and the Orioles are contenders. So what are your thoughts on this? Definitely a good spot for him to go uh, to keep his value. And um, so I'm looking at some of his stats right now. He had a high walk rate last year. I know I've heard people say that he kind of collapsed a little bit down the stretch. Um, and uh, he had some high hard hit metrics. His exit velocity was over 90, 90 uh, miles per hour. Hard hit percentage was 46.7, which is really high. So um, he, it may not be a dominant Kimbrel season next year, especially like I, everyone knows about the wall in left field, but he's a righty. So the lefties will get him more and it's not the, it's kind of short to right field there. Um, so that could be an issue, but um, in terms of like an RP two, or if you want to wait as on your RP one, I think he's a very good target. Cause like you said, the Orioles are going to win a lot of games again. It should somehow get better. And they did really well last year, which is kind of scary as a Yankee fan. But um, yeah, I think he's a, uh, he'll probably still go up. I think. In terms of ADP, but uh, definitely a good signing for him. Yeah, he will go up because the pick in my draft is was like a couple picks after he signed, so it changed everything real quick. It's one of those slow drafts, you know, you're happy to be on the clock moments. So I'm, I'm curious to see like in another couple of weeks to see where it kind of evens out at after a few more drafts that that I'd go with uh, Craig Kimbrell. Another guy that signed this past week, Eduardo Rodriguez. He went three picks after Kimbrell in the draft I'm in right now another on the clock type moment with Erod because he didn't know where he was. He was in Detroit last year uh, going into the draft. I'm in, he had an ADP of 198. Like I said, he went about 143, 144 in my draft. Um, Arizona to me, I think is a great landing spot, good pitchers ballpark. So it's Detroit, of course, but uh, Erod was back a little bit more to his usual ways. Whip was even better last year, which is pretty promising. I know I'm biased. I've always been an Erod guy because the strikeouts can be there, but what I love the most about this Arizona landing spot is he doesn't have to be the ace. Like he's had to be in so many places. He's like the two or even the three he's got Brendan fought right behind him. Like it's a really 
the D-backs are building a good rotation, to say the least. So I love Erod. I know I've already I think I drafted him in the Gladiator on Thursday night. So uh any thoughts on Eduardo Rodriguez going to Arizona? So I just pulled up his ADP right now, 198. I, I like that. And that's for all DCs um so far. Uh yeah, he's it's always funny. I always remember you and Toby going back and forth on yeah. him. And uh, I was like always as a listener, I'm like, I don't know who I who I want to like go fall in line with because uh he was always on the Red Sox, and I was never the biggest fan. But um, you know, kind of stats his uh swing strike rate, swing strike rate was kind of low, ten point four. Sierra and FIP were, XFIP were over four. Um, so like he, I think he's going at a good range if he's still going around two hundred. Um, he's a good stable option, and uh, he, I think that well, the D backs lineup, he should get a decent amount of wins because I there's some they're probably gonna get better uh going into twenty twenty four. So I think he's a he's a solid pick in that range. Yep, I'm with you. I'm a fan of Erod. Curious to see where things level out in a few weeks with his ADP as well. Yep. Heimer Condelario. This was a bittersweet signing for me because I've always loved the Candyman. I've always loved him because he's a value. You can get like a corner infield position and not have to worry about it. Um, he's going to Cincinnati, and they paid him three years, $45 million, which basically says we're playing him as well is the way I read that. He's coming off a career year. Last year between the Nationals and the Cubs, even with a little bit of injury time, still had a great season. Now he's got a great American small park. Projected to hit in the middle of that batting order, which will not stink, obviously, because they're a loaded young batting order. Uh, before we talk about the trickle-down effects, because there will be some, what's your thoughts on the Candyman heading to Cincinnati as he is a, a cheap, cheap player in drafts now, but that is surely to climb. Correct. His min pick is 236, and that's probably going to go up now. Yep. Um, it, it was definitely a weird signing. It, it kind of mean to me. It means that they're gonna make a trade at some yep. point, hundred percent. Or uh, I don't know. Or they just don't like. Um, well, Spencer Searson on a projected wise, and Strand is still on. He's on the bench right now, according to roster mm-hmm. resource. But um, yeah, he was a great like DC pick last year, and now they got him batting fourth in, the, in that park. So yeah, he's definitely a good corner option uh, in the in the two hundreds. And yeah, I could see him going. <sighs> maybe around like where Drury went last year, which I think Drury was around like 200, um, but only he's in a better park. And looking at his underlying stats, he uh, was like a middle-of-the-road av- good average hitter. So I, I think um, with the opportunity and the play appearances in the ballpark, I think he's a, he's a very good pick at that price range. Yep, 100% with you. The way I kind of interpreted it, there's already been rumors of India getting traded, so that would free up things. Um, it's either that or CES. Uh, Strand is the one that gets kind of – Automate out here because you know India and Strand could DH together somehow. Uh, basically, one of them has to get traded, like you said, or India goes back to AAA. Not India, Strand goes back to AAA. Right. That's like the only scenario there because the Candyman also played better defense at first base than uh, Strand last year. So there's just a lot of things pointing to him playing Candelario playing pretty much every day, and uh, CES having to kind of play around elsewhere is the way I looked at it. And I, I still think India gets traded. I think he needs to go to Boston. But it doesn't look like that's going to happen right now. They're doing, they're in talks with Whit Merrifield, so we'll wait and see. But that'd be my two cents. Tyler O'Neill traded to the Red Sox. Uh, could be another Cardinals outfielder finding a new home that just flourishes their life. Um, it's an interesting pick, you know. You know he's very very cheap in drafts. So it'll come up a little bit, but there's still a lot of haters out there on the Tyler O'Neill front. I found that out recently. You either love him or you hate him. Um, 2021 was a long time ago where he broke out. Been injury mess ever since. Uh, what's your thoughts on him going to Boston? I think it's a great park for him to pepper that green monster. Hopefully yep. he, um, the one thing with him though, is like, I just don't trust him to stay healthy right now. 
Yep. But I'm I, I'm not sure what his ADP is offhand. Uh, I'll find it for you. Okay. Yeah. So I'm looking right now at um, like he had a good uh, walk rate last year. What was it? Two ninety. Oh yeah. So that's I think at that price. Um, I mean you still want to like especially in the fifteen you still want to have guaranteed production, but like he was going much higher last year and the year before. So I you're you're getting a good discount on uh that price. Yeah, so like he had a good walk rate last year in limited time. K rate was fine for him, 25%. Um, good barrel rate, good hard hit rate, good expected BA was 249. So I think if he's coming into 2024 healthy, I could see him moving up the lineup too. Because right now, uh, Russell Resource has him batting seventh. But like I think I was talking to Curling and about this. Um, right now, they have three lefties leading off the lineup. And maybe Story was more like a four hitter, but I could see O'Neill batting in the top five or top four of that lineup potentially. So I think uh, he's a solid pick with some good potential. Yep. And there's, there's a couple things in looking at the lineup, like, you know, Verdigo leaving basically locks in Jaron Duran. And I think that's going to boost his fantasy value, obviously, because that was a kind of a, where do they go situation, but kind of puts Duran back towards the top of the lineup. But I'm with you like stories, a good two hitter, honestly, and then he can move Devers to three. You have Casas and O'Neill in that four or five spot. That's definitely a world that we could all live in. Um, I, I think there's a lot with O'Neill. I talked about it. I wrote about it. I talked about it. I tweeted it on Twitter. Um, and I, I'm not. I didn't want to bore everybody with every aspect of it. But I just kept going through 21, 22, 23. All his like hit charts and is where he liked to swing the most. Where all these, all the different charts you can see on Savant. And it was very, very clear from his major successful 2021 season each year where he started, where his problems went. He stopped being aggressive inside, started swinging more away, especially down and away. He saw his ground ball rate climb uh, recently, fly ball rate dropped, a lot of things that make sense in that regard. Um, you would have thought it would have been completely a pull situation, but this way his ground ball rate probably went up. He actually pulled the ball more in 2022 than either of the two seasons. But if you try to pull a ball down and away, those that don't play baseball, you're going to hit a ground ball. That's just how this thing works. Like So someone that's played baseball my whole life, I was like, these charts make way too much sense of why he struggled. Like It's pretty clear to me. And obviously, it could be he was hurt, so he couldn't get around on the ball. Matt Thompson, um, uh, of you know, genius, genius, uh, fantasy mind prospect, mind from Prospect Live, but he also is a diehard Cardinals fan, and he flat out said he he started waiting on the ball to come in more and tried to hit it opposite field for some reason, and it somehow resulted in more ground balls. So he needs to get back, and but his strikeout rate dropped tremendously. So that's what it kind of came down to. He was he was uh, less he was more selective at the plate but it limited his power production. So he basically needs to start striking out more, pulling the ball, and that could be a re- recipe for success. Obviously, he's got to be healthy too. A lot of what-ifs, a lot of what-ifs involved there, but he's also still very young. So if he can get healthy, lots of things. You mentioned the lineup, the ballpark. I think there's a lot to like there for Tyler O'Neill. And I'll just say this much. You can't even quantify it on any website. That was a disaster in St. Louis. Like, they didn't like him. It was pretty clear. He's young. You could tell – I'm not going to speak for Tyler O'Neill, but if I was young and I thought I was good enough to play, but I'm basically getting trash-talked everywhere, I'd be a little pissy too, and maybe my effort wouldn't be great. I don't know. There's just – you know how kids are these days. So that might be a whole other factor to it, where now he's going to, to Boston. It's a new like new opportunity. He might be excited to play baseball again. A lot of what-ifs again, but just little things like that that we don't – we can't just see on a spreadsheet or on a website that – the, you know, you can't factor in stuff. So I, I think O'Neill's a nice, I'm not going to be the only person you agreed. I think many will a nice bounce back candidate this year. All right. We had a couple more, not as big flashy as those ones. Those are fun ones. These could just be like some quick hitters. If you want lefty, Will Smith veteran reliever signs at the Kansas city Royals. Reason I kind of wanted to bring this up. 
Nick Anderson already signed with the Royals. You have MacArthur there, who everybody loved at first. Then Anderson gets signed, and people are like, oh, that's Anderson's world. Now Will Smith comes in there, who's got experience. You could see a lefty-righty situation. The way I look at it, and you don't know how many games the Royals are going to win anyways, but it's a mess in Kansas City. Any thoughts on the Will Smith conundrum in KC? This is one of those cases where they have four closers on roster resources. It's it's always fun when it's like this. Makes sense. Yeah, so I could see it being – without thinking about it too much going into into this podcast, I could see it being like an Anderson Smith um, closer by committee potentially. Yep. And um, with them trying to flip both of them, because they're both – Will Smith is 34 going into the, right now, and uh, like Anderson's 33, and they have no reason to have relievers that old or that good on their team, at least come the end of the season. So I could see them going to non-safe situations if they are sharing the role to start the season. And uh, I learned from Scott Barlow last year not to – mess with awful close or awful teams closers it's just too frustrating um so i mean i know like everyone has like the world series joke like oh they're gonna win the world series now because will smith's on the team but um <laughs> it, it's it matters who he goes to at in yes. J- july where that is relevant but um yeah it's like he's probably gonna get moved up because he has a he's probably gonna be the closer most often more often than not because i know people were saying like anderson's with his injury history like he has to be on probably like a regiment a good regiment you know like um, consistent work and like you can't go back to back with him probably. So Will Smith will get opportunities if they ever win multiple games in a row. But um, yeah, he's probably going to be one of those high picks that may not turn out to be too good if he goes too high. Yeah, that's a great point about the regiment thing with Nick Anderson. That would be a smart thing to do. And so we'll see if the Royals, you know, do the smart thing in this scenario. Eric Fetty signed a two-year deal with the Chicago White Sox. You know, the former national who, he was streamable at times, didn't strike out a ton of dudes, ended up being so bad he went to the KBO where he was amazing. ERA of two last season, 20-6 and six record in 180 innings pitched. He had a 29.5% K rate, 24.6% K to walk rate. I'm not saying he's going to be amazing, but we've seen pitchers go there and learn things. And I know I've read somewhere his pitch mix changed while I was over there, and it was just one of those type of deals. It's still the Chicago White Sox. It's still Eric Fede. Any interest in him or, or any fantasy value you find with him with an ADP of 527 right now. As low as 373, though. So, Wow, that's uh, a big range, especially when that's the average. Um, yeah. Yeah, I just got I guess this guy done listening to uh, one of Rob DiPietro's podcasts, and they were talking – it was him and Randy, ha- Randy Haynes, and they were Haynes. talking about Fede. I think it was actually – they recorded before he signed, and they were talking already then about his uh, ADP climbing, and it's going to be even – like you said, 370-something. It's even higher. But like you pointed out, it's the White Sox, so I'm not too excited about wins. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, um, uh, I can't, Merrill Kelly did well coming back from overseas, and uh, the one guy Rob mentioned I, I laughed at was uh, Dan Straley. <laughs> yeah. How everyone got excited for him. So, I mean, like I wasn't in on um, – when uh, Michaelis also, he had success coming back from – overseas so i mean there's definitely a chance that he could be good like these whatever they did to fix him well what we think fix him because i mean different competition level coming back here um like if he went to the dodgers i'd be more interested but since he's on the white Sox, i don't think there's that much upside to like go out of your way to draft him and if he's going in the 300s now mm-hmm. even in a dc i don't want him because you need that, that's a reliable pick for a draft and hold Definitely. so i don't i think fetty's gonna get uh overdrafted and he was like a two-year, $10 million deal or something like that. If teams aren't that excited about him, 
should we be that excited about them? That's that's my question. Like a contending team, two years, ten million. That's chump change for some of these teams. Like the Dodgers need pitching, the Yankees need pitching. If he was this good, wouldn't they? Two years, ten million, pretty simple. So we'll have to kind of wait and see. I, I'm rooting for him, but yeah, I'm kind of with you. The White Sox almost just deters me from everything involving Eric Fetting. Marco, Marco Gonzalez traded to the Pirates. I don't have a whole lot of interest there except he'll probably get streamed at one point in time because we've said these things about Quintana and others in Pittsburgh, and somehow they have a great matchup that'll be worth rostering, but I have nothing for now unless you do. Uh, he is going at pick 737 in draft <laughs> champions, and I would take him there. Yes, in the Just draft because champions, he is 100%. a live arm. So other than that, and, though, yeah, he might and, get traded again at some and, point. And to that point, the Pirates will use every pitch in that arm because of their young pitchers needing to like only go so many innings, it'll be like the Rich Hill treatment. Like, how long can you go tonight, Marco? Okay, here you go. Give it 12 runs. I don't care. I need you to throw as many pitches as you can right now. <laughs> that will be the scenario. Uh, Nick Senzel signs with the New York uh, – or the Washington Nationals, not the New York Yankees, sorry, the Washington Nationals. And this one's interesting because you see these teams that are going young with some questionable situations – it might be a nice place for him to figure it out. Like the talent's always been there, or at least seems like it's been there. The health never has. So now he goes into Washington where he's projected to play third base, which he's can play anywhere. That's the thing with Senzel. Uh, any interest in a guy like Nitz Senzel, who again, like pretty much most of these guys will be, you know, ADP of 581 right now. Yeah, that's a good, and he's dual eligible third base outfield in NFBC. So I, I like Senzel, Senzel at that price. He, uh, yeah, if you pro, kind of double his stats from last year, which isn't always the wisest thing, but just for his rates, he over a full season, 660 plate appearances, he would have had 26 and 12 homers and steals, which is very playable, especially at that ADP. Um, but he can, he can't stay healthy though, so you can't really bank on that. But at that point, in a draft champion or draft and hold, you need people. You you're looking for playing time, and he's projected to have that. So I think uh, as long as he stays that late, um, I would be interested. Yeah, he's uh, only going to be 29 this year, so for some way he can stay on the field. We're good to go there. And last bit of news here, Christian Betancourt, he was traded to the Marlins from the Cleveland Guardians. Like At first, I didn't like him in Cleveland because he's actually half-decent enough to ruin Bo Naylor's time, but now he goes to Miami, and this actually makes sense to me. Like uh, Fortes is a fun catcher. He's shown some pop at times, but overall, he's basically Jacob Stallings with a little more pop, so it's not really good for fantasy at all. He is a good defensive catcher compared to Betancourt. So Fortes has that on him. But Betancourt can hit. We know that. He can play first base. He can catch. Um, he would strictly be like a fourth catcher type in DCs. I don't think you can really trust him in anything else. Maybe a third catcher. If not. Any interest in a guy like Christian Betancourt? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Well, at least last year I was very interested in Betancourt. I liked him a lot where he was going as like a catcher two in any any kind of draft. Um but yeah, so like I'm looking at his stats from last year, underlying stats, pretty bad O-swing. His O-swing was 47.6%, which is like dark red on my sheet. Contact rate of 66%, which is one shade less red. Um, doesn't walk a lot. Um, low XBA. So, and he's not even projected to be the starter right now, but, and I, so if Fortes is a better defender, I could see them maybe like taking the hit with the potential offense and, um, going with him over Betancourt most of the time. He's, he's 32 now, so he's not like a prospect at all or anything. But, um, yeah, he was someone I kind of missed on last year. But if, if if spring training comes along and he's getting more plate appearances than Fortes or playing time, then I might be a little more interested. But for now, I'm not 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 too excited about it. All righty. I'm kind of with you there as well. So it's a strictly a backup situation yeah. with, uh, with Betancourt. 
All right, that's the news for now. There'll be plenty more to go. We were trying to talking off the air that there's still a bunch of big names out there. That's a crazy group of uh, free agents slash trade candidates in the world of baseball. So we'll keep you up to date here on a week to week basis. Not really a emergency podcast guy, if you know what I mean. So let's talk steamer standouts. And this is why it's kind of fun. Is first projection that comes out, everyone gets excited in November. Here we are. Um, kind of, we can look at the good, the bads, the ugly. Usually it's always a playing time thing we talk about, but, um, I know you've done your Z scores and everything at first glance, before we get, we each have five players. We're kind of like, these kind of feel, you know, good, bad or something. What's your thoughts on the steamer projections that you've looked at so far based on your, your Z scores and whatnot. So I always think steamers kind of optimistic, um, at least early on, uh, year to year compared to the other projections in terms of like offense and, um, I said this in the past before, but I don't really look at pitching too much. I, I use the projections more as like a ranking as opposed to what the actual stats are when it comes to pitchers. And um, yeah, so like I added a couple notes on the outline. One of them was uh, the steals. So only nine players were projected for 30 plus steals, um, which I kind of thought was low, but I guess they're going with the uh, conservative route first time around. Um, uh, maybe they didn't adjust the uh, steals or maybe they kept like the same formula that they normally would use without like a heavily weighting last year. Um, Acuna still has 56 steals for his projection, which that's is pretty, that's uh, pretty fair. Yeah. It's kind of, it's a, it's a lot to see for a projection. Well, there was only steals. 12 players last year or 30 or more. Right. So, yeah. which is a good reminder because everyone was sick. Cause I remember looking at, I, I tweeted about this earlier in um, the fall, like the, the breakdown of number of steals. And it was like the 20 is where all the improvement went, went for the most yep. part. I, I'll have to retweet this or something with the show. Um, I had like a little table of like 2022 steals versus 2023 steals for each player. I mean, there's no names. It just shows like categories and where they ended up being um, last year. But um, yeah, so the steals were, so people, so I, I know the steals is such a big debate because like, well, okay, now there's more. So we, do you have to draft them more early to make up for it? Or do you want to like wait and get them late? Um, so like also with the, the projections are, they're conservative to some degree. So you don't want to like, like we we're talking about with, with Mookie before, like you have all these high aspirations for what a player can do, but you have to like be grounded a little bit still. So that's what they're trying to do with these totals, I think. Um, but like looking at the Z scores, so Acuna is 17.6 for his total Z score, and the next closest guy is Bobby Witt with 10. So like Acuna is far and away the best projected pl- hitter um, th- through Steamer, no surprise there, but like the amount is very eye opening, I thought. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so like a lot of what my picks are for the players we're going to touch on are like more like comparisons. I kind of cheated. I, I kind of grouped, except for my first one, I kind of grouped two players at each position or mm-hmm. so roughly the same position. And uh, I think just seeing who's ahead of who is kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, so, I, and also one thing about the projections too, at this point is that these are going to change a lot, at least steamers. Um, they'll get updated maybe like in two weeks or something and definitely come uh, the new year, they'll be updated. And um, like for the most part, the uh, and I think the biggest change will be the playing time because like once we have guys sign, some guys will lose play appearances, some guys may gain them to fill the um, the gaps that like if there's a trade, say like with um, class now or someone like that. So, and also I would wait too to look at other projection systems. Like don't take steamer for gospel. Like they'll they'll hit, they'll be around some players, but it's better to wait and see uh, what the other ones say too. And, and that's what I'll do personally too. I'll like. I mentioned earlier before we recorded, like, I'm going to wait till January before I start drafting when the other ones come out. But um, yeah, I think it's a good exercise to go through these and try to highlight some interesting names that we both did. Both yeah. Saw. And it's, it definitely helps to kind of go through some early ones to uh, if you are 
drafting early like myself and other crazy people. This will help you maybe find a little bubbles of value potentially to to look at. I like how at least um, you guys obviously at home can't see the outline, but Ben did a little uh, a catcher's you know forte at the end here. So I'm looking forward to that because I'll have a few comments on that, of course. But um, let's start with your first one because this is a player I'm glad you put on a list that I have so much trouble trying to figure out on draft day, and that is Josh Lowe. You know, a great season last year. I know you, Vlad, and some other guys didn't even – just rostering him and when to put him in lineups was frustrating at times. Um, it was it was one of those things. But by the end of the year, he was playing versus lefties more often than not. So that was a plus. So what do you have on Josh Lowe, his projection, and how it kind of stands out to you? Yeah, so um, it's – I identified him through the Z-score method. So for anyone not um, aware of what a Z-score is, it's – it's a way to rank players. So it's, it takes the, the samples average and standard deviation for a statistic. So say the average homework per player. So what I do first is I filter out players with 300 plus uh, projected plate appearances for like my, my population for doing this. And so it looks at like, for example, the average homer say it's 25 per player, which is probably a little high, but that's the example. Um, it subtracts the average from the player's projected total. And then it divides by the standard deviation. And it's supposed to get everybody on like a standard playing field. Um, and you do that across categories and it's supposed to be, allow you to compare steals with homers in terms of their value, in terms of how the player stands out from the average or is worse than the average. So that's, that's the purpose of a, of a Z score. Um, hopefully that made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, makes sense to me. Yep. So with Josh Lowe, I looked at how the Z scores ranked for all the hitters. And I identified him because his hitter rank, according to the steamer, is 90, but his ADP is hitter 45. So he's, uh, according to the steamer, he's getting overpicked by a lot. And um, I, as you mentioned, I had him on a few teams last year. I had him on one of my main events. And uh, he, he got really frustrating because he was sitting a lot. Oh, they faced so many lefties. And um, he, I feel like he kind of hit his ceiling last year. Um, his average exit velocity wasn't that high, 44th percentile. His hard hit was 42nd percentile chased a lot. Um, he, had, he had a pretty solid XBX slug, but with the Rays, I don't know if they'll commit to playing him full time. And I don't know if you even want to, because his splits were bad against lefties. He had, he had a 712. It's not awful, but compared, he had a 712 OPS last year, but that's an 857 versus righties. So I think Josh Lowe, at that point in the draft, you want full plate appearances, full-time plate appearances. I don't think he's, I don't know if he's going to give you that. And I think that's what Steamer's saying too. And I loved having him on my, on my teams last year. Like in daily leagues, he's great because you get to pick and choose when he's facing those righties, he's going to be in your lineup. But in like an NFBC type league where you have to set weekly or, set, or uh, semi-weekly lineups, it's hard when when there's two lefties on the schedule for the Rays. And like a, even on the weekend or Monday through Thursday, it's hard to put him in there. And I struggled with that a lot. And like you mentioned, Vlad, he always joked, you never sit Josh Lowe. And yeah. I broke that rule and it hurt me sometimes, but it's like, when you see those lefties, you, you don't want to take a zero on half those games. So it, it's definitely tough. And I don't know if he stays at that AP. I don't know if I'll take him this year because I want a little more um, certain production at that point. Yeah, I stared at him so many times in drafts. I have zero shares still. Didn't have any shares last year. Last year is fine based on his price. This year, like you mentioned, it's around 40, 45, give or take. And that makes it real tricky. To, to trust when there's other guys like it could be your first pitcher off the board a starting pitcher it could be a lot of things honestly uh you could go for like like my comparison is randy rosarena josh Lowe. like we know what randy is like he's, he's a 2020 dude we've seen it some so many times 
do you want to take the the kind of consistency of Randy or the ceiling potential with a massive floor of Josh Lowe? Things like that where it gets uh, it gets pretty tricky. So I think that's a, that's a great call out there. And I'm loving looking at your Z scores because I, I I didn't cheat yet and look I'm looking as I do mine. This next one already stands out to me in a humongous <laughs> way just because of who he's next to on this list, uh, who's a, who's a dear friend of mine. Uh, but we're gonna start with the person I'm gonna talk about. That's Gabriel Moreno, and I, when I say friend of mine, being sarcastic, people. Uh, Gabriel Moreno. Uh, we'll start with the catcher out the gate here. I had two of my fiver catchers. I could have done them all, but I didn't want to bore you guys with that. But uh, I have a I, I really really like the potential for Gabriel Moreno this season. Uh, he comes in with an ADP of 147 based on the Z scores. He's the 164th hitter. He's basically um, right next to Yainar Diaz, which stood out like a, whoa, whoa, what do we do with my boy? But this is, again, based on the projections here. And the reason I want to bring up Gabriel Moreno is uh, last year, you know, seven homers, six deals at 284 and 111 games. They bumped him to 130, or they bumped him to 126, 15 game increase, 11 homers, seven steals, 285. I think there's more to like there. And this is where projections can get interesting. I mean, like biases get in the way, but projection systems like to use, like, I guess, certain factors of things. And when I look at Gabriel Moreno, when you look at just the, the, the way he finished the season in the second half, I think that's more the player he is. He got the consistent run at catcher. He had it early, but he was kind of banged up and everything, came back from the IL. And, it, like, even that just that month of September, October is huge. But second half alone, he had 313 with five home runs and, um, and two stolen bases. I think there's more power in the bat. And the batting average, you know, they gave him a fair projection. I'm not going to say that's wrong by any means. But I think the powers where I have an issue, the 11 home runs, I think he's more of a 17, 18, maybe runs into 20, but maybe not that much. But I think he's got that in the bags with the, the steals that are there. But that average is 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 great for him. So I guess my complaint is, and playing time, I think he's going to get more than 126 games. Let's put it that way. And that's the catchers, that's why it's a lazy one. They're always projected under playing time, I think, especially in this new era with the DH where so many guys are playing games. But Gabriel Moreno is a dude for me that I think uh, needs to get bumped up now. His steamer projection compared to ADP is within the ballpark, within the range. Like his ADP is 147, projections one or Z score is 167. Um, catchers obviously get pushed up, so that's why he's he's there. But uh, I, I think the playing time slash power is a little weak on Gabriel Moreno. That's that's my two cents. No, that's a good pick. He, um, I like them too. I, I I tweeted about this at the after the season, and I looked at the. Um, when I was kind of doing my uh, projection review from 2023's projections, and uh, they they nailed his projection spot on um, the the aggregate of Steamer, BadX, and ATC, which is what I used. Uh, like they were very close to being with what his final line was, and that's and going into drafts, he was projected to get all this playing time because um, uh, who's the catcher? He got hurt. Um, uh, I screwed this up the other day because I was writing about him. I give one to say Sean Murphy. It's um, Kelly Carson Kelly. Yeah, Carson Kelly. He got hurt, so everyone's like, "Oh my god, he's in full plate appearances. He's young. He's gonna be able to handle it. He's good average, like you said." Um, yeah, and like looking at the projection, so he's catcher nine, which is very good, mm-hmm. I think. Um, if you need average and kind of like take a slight hit with homers, homers at that, at that point, I think it's fine. Um, he's projected for seven steals, which is. I think the second most at the position, which is nice. And um, yeah, so uh, he kind of hurt me a little bit because like you said, he kind of had some ups and downs last year. I was a little too aggressive with drafting him where I did last year. But uh, yeah, and the at-bats are projected for 458. So if he uh, plays 500, then you could, you could I could definitely see like those 17 homers yep. um, that you're talking about. That's the plan. So <laughs> I, I like your next one here, though, because one's a very popular name in the world. The other one's like, ah, this is who he is. Like, he's not that great. So, so be it. So 
What are your thoughts on your next one here? Yeah, so the next two are Andrew Vaughn and Spencer Torkelson. And if and I'm not lying when I say this, but according to the steamer, Andrew Vaughn is their 77th projected hitter, and Torkelson's their 78th projected hitter. So not only are they back to back, Vaughn is ahead of Torkelson. And I bet you based on and looking at ADP, Vaughn's hitter 137. Torque's hitter 64. <laughs> yep, that's what, that's a fun one right there. Everyone's all on the torque train the way he finished last year. Yeah, and so let me pull up um, the projection. For, so I think the Vaughn projection is a little aggressive. Um, that's why he's so high up in um, the Z-score ranks. And where's the line? So he's projected for 82 runs, 26 homers, 82 RBI, and a 262 average with a positive weighted average. Um, and I don't see him getting to those runs in RBIs, especially on the uh, – on the White Sox because I could see them tanking and unintentionally tanking, like selling off Robert, even him potentially. But um, yeah, I thought this was very fascinating. And also his, I think his ADP dropped to like 238 or something Vaughn's. And he was going at like 80 picks before that last year, I think. And he was one of the guys we did, we covered on the review earlier in, in the, in the off season because um, of how accurate his projection was. And he's kind of like one of those steady eddies, but if he's going at 240, even with, Last year's projection, and this one is better than last year's. I would take him all day at that price. And uh, I think with Torque, he, uh, I think it's his K rate is what kind of holds yeah. him back in my mind. That batting average is a little low, too. Right. Yeah. So he's a negative, according to the steamer, he's a negative co- contributor in uh, average, and um, Vaughn is a positive contributor. So you also have to account for that. But yeah, like, I don't know, Torkelson at that price, it's, it's like a three category pick, runs homers and RBIs. And I think even last year he was barely above league average in terms of like weighted, weighted runs created plus and um, whatever else you want to use, probably OPS plus is a similar story. So he's probably getting overpicked a little bit unless he like he makes average uh, like contact gains. But um, yeah, I thought those two were very interesting. That's great. That's why I'm loving this exercise already. And um, Torx, like, like I talked about him, waxed poetically about him last season, waiver wire, all this stuff. Like it was, And that's a great waiver wire guy to have. Like I need power for a couple of weeks. Boom. Give me Torx. That's That's beautiful. But to your point here, drafting him where you're drafting him in a 15-team league, that's like round five, six, give or take, wherever he's going. And that is a big question mark at that point because there's a lot of other players that give you at least four categories, maybe even five still. Like, And that's where you, when you're building your team, it's tricky. Like, and I love Torque. I think he's going to be a good ball player, but it might be a perennial problem with the average that is, it, is the juice worth the squeeze or can you build your team around it? Like maybe if you go to draft Corey Seager, Torque's probably awesome. But now you have two guys who don't steal a lot either, too. So right. that's a whole other problem now. This is why building rosters is a blast. And it's a everyone's got their own method of the madness, but it's just kind of like you're know, piecing it all together. So, you know, go Corbin Carroll, then Corey Seager, then Torque, have fun. But uh, it's just you got to hit Donald's have to align perfectly to, to make those things happen. Okay. My next one, and I'm, I wanted to point it out because uh, Mr. Bloomfield gave me a lot of crap on my show about mentioning Luis Ringifo. And now I've gotten text messages. He's mentioned on the show that I've opened his eyes to a very good ball player. And a couple of things I want to mention, and I, this is I have another platform to talk about it. When Luis Rangifo, what if I told you the last two seasons, he's played 127, 126 games, played appearances differed by about you know 60 almost, maybe more, almost 70. Um, the, the last two seasons, 2022, 17 homers, six steals. 2023, 16 homers, six steals. He hit 264 both seasons. Drove in 51 and 52. Consistency is huge. Doesn't strike out a ton. Walked almost 10% last year. Steamer has him projected to play 141 games. 22 homers, 10 stolen bases, hitting 261. That's pretty sweet to me. Uh, in the NFBC, 
second base, third base, shortstop, outfield eligibility, four positions, which in a DC is amazing. I guarantee in Yahoo, he's probably got another position we don't even know about because, you know, five to 10 games there. His DC ADP is almost 269. If you look at the Z scores that Ben talks about here, 84th. He's between Josh Young and Ian Happ. And like that kind of stuff stands out to me in a tremendous way when you look at Rangifo. And the other reason I think the numbers could be even better, they have 141 games. Now, barring an injury, and, and, and that's usually kind of the peak on most of these because that gives them around the Steamer 600 number, give or take. They usually don't get too crazy, like you mentioned, the conservative aspect of Steamer. But if he doesn't get injured, he's going to pretty much lead off almost every game for the Angels. Not a great team, we know. But leading off, say he leads off 155 games now. That's you know, almost 15 more games. This is a big season from Luis Rangifo that I don't think is getting drafted appropriately, is what I'm trying to say. Now, again, I might be overestimating it, but the positional flexibility, and even if he's going like 50 to 60 picks higher, I think that's still a great price tag on Rangifo. And um, I don't know. I think I think the projection is low. It's a playing time thing to me. But uh, to me, ADP-wise, is, is pretty, pretty solid. Any thoughts on Rangifo? And you found him before I even sent you the, the projections with the yeah. Z scores. And I'm looking oh, at I made my, how yeah, my whole list for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah it, where, so, where he's at on that score is pretty awesome. Yeah. He's above Ian Happ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, just, the name, just the names around him. It's like he's ahead of Josh right? Lowe, who we just talked about, and Willie Adamas. And all like it's kind of, it's also, it's one set of projections. Like, like I said, yeah. like it could change drastically. I don't know if, what the other ones will say too, but it's definitely interesting. Um, he was someone I feel like he got hot last two seasons and like he it kind of shot his price up in drafts and then he didn't play full time, which was always frustrating. I think I took him in a gladiator last year and for half the year it was like a, a terrible pick, but then he, he played again. Um, the one thing I, don't, I know you love him. I like everyone who has heard that knows you love him. I, the only thing I want to say is that he has one of those like Ozzy Albies splits. He's a switch hitter and he's much better versus lefties. Um, okay. Last year he had a 931 OPS against lefties. And Renhifo against righties at a 730 OPS. So I don't know if that will affect his lineup spot based on who they're facing, but he's projected to hit leadoff for the Angels right now. And um, yeah, at that ADP with that eligibility, I think he's a great pick. So, yeah, big fan nice of his. All right. Who are the next two gentlemen you have here? Because this is another one that they're kind of spaced out in ADP right now. Right. Yeah. So my next two are Manny Machado and Paul Goldschmidt. Um, they're back to back. According to uh, my Z scores for Steamer, uh, Machado is the hitter 30, Goldschmidt hitter 31. But when you look at ADP on uh, Draft Champions, Machado is hitter 43 and Goldschmidt hitter 46. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard Machado brought up already in podcasts, and it's barely December um, for how late he's going. I think his ADP is moving up higher. I think he's around 73 now. So that's kind of creeping back to where he is. And I think it's just because people are worried about the um, – the shoulder, I think, or wrist, whatever his injury was. And uh, I think it's a little, I don't know. It's kind of like with Otani um, in terms of unsure of when he'll be ready. I, I don't know if he's going to be ready for the start of the season. Um, I get that, but I don't think he's supposed to be out very long, if if at all. And this is Machado. And, um, yeah, they, they lost Soto in San Diego, but they still have Bogarts. They still have Tatis. Uh, Cronworth isn't that good, but he's still there. Like they have some players, so it's not that he's the only guy in that lineup. Um, and he can steal. I don't know if um, he's getting older. Yes, but he could definitely th- chip in 15 steals, maybe, um, especially with the rules. And if you're getting him at the end of the fifth round, maybe early six and a 15, I think that's solid. Um, and he's playing third base, so getting steals at third is definitely nice. Uh, 
And then Goldschmidt. So I'm, I don't know if I'd be as optimistic about Goldschmidt because he's so old, but Steamer still likes him. Um, he has good underlying metrics. Looking at his EV was 91.3 miles per hour, which is very good. He had 11.9% barrel rate. His hard hit, hard hit was 50.7%, which are all great numbers. So I feel like this happens with Goldschmidt every other year. Like he has like a good year that isn't supported by the stats and he'll like, he'll do poorly when it's the opposite, like he should have done better. It's kind of weird. Um, but I think where he's falling is a, a good price. Like he's right. He's four, yeah, four picks or three, three hitters after um, Machado. And I think at that range, if you need a first baseman instead of a third baseman, it's a decent gamble. Yeah. I'm with you. Like first off the Machado train, I've been all aboard that price tag. I think that's just ridiculously good right now. But uh, the Goldie one, I'm also with you because it's like, yeah, I get it. The price tag is good. Do I trust the kind of bounce back? I don't because I don't really want the same thing. I want it to be better at that point in the draft, and that's what makes it tricky. But like when you look at your Z scores, they're both thirty the thirtieth hitter basically, and that's pretty sweet. All things considered, where they're getting drafted. So like, what do you believe? Do you want to believe the? That's why these are just fun exercises. Do you want to believe the projection? Do you want to believe aging is going to keep the curve? Because a lot of projection systems use like three year weighted averages. They use a lot of things that. Don't necessarily factor in, you know, all the good, the bads, and the uglies of the scenario. And that's what makes it very interesting as well. All right. My next player, and this is strictly a playing time thing for me, is Chaz McCormick. And, um, and again, I think when they update st- uh, Steamer in a bit, you're going to see this change. But you got Chaz McCormick ADP of around uh, 162 right now. Um, they haven't projected to play 123 games. Last year, he played 115. And he hit 22 homers, 19 stolen bases at 273. On the on a steamer, they have him 123 games, 18 homers, 13 steals, 244. Uh, two things: I think his power and speed's better than that. Now the average, you know, is a big bump from previous seasons. Can he keep that going? The other factor, though, the 123 games, I think, is going to be more because um, they pretty much Brantley's gone. They announced McCormick's going to be an everyday outfielder for them. They haven't made any other moves. Obviously, that can change. They want Yord on the DH. They don't want him out there because with the Yiner going to catch full-time, it leaves the DH wide open for Yordan Alvarez. Um, Chaz should be playing every day in the outfield. If he does, that's 140-plus games. Those numbers get back to those 2020 numbers that we kind of saw last year. So that's where I'm very optimistic on taking advantage of that now. Could be foolish, like fool's gold, fool's optimism on that. But I like what we're seeing there with Chaz McCormick. Now when you look like you're um, – your Z scores, he's right behind Yanner Diaz, right? With Gabriel Moreno, right? Where we talked about earlier, very similar Z scores, probably because Moreno's got a better average. Uh, Chaz will bring the power and the speed and they kind of even things out there. Um, it's not a great look when you look at the Z scores for, for Chaz McCormick, but I think as a whole, when the playing time fluctuates and moves up, I think he'll be a much better uh, projection to look at. So I think Chaz is one to kind of jump on now. Could be wrong, though. Yeah, I think, like you mentioned at the start, the playing time is key because his projection is 434 at bats, which is actually fewer than Gabriel Moreno, according to Seaver. So, um, yeah, if they're committed to him playing full time, um, you can't really input that into a projection system. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you can you could manually adjust it, but if you're going to go like straight process, it's not going to get picked up. And yep. um, yeah, so like if you project him to like 600 at bats, that's probably like 25, almost 20. So that's, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, the, and the other thing though too that kind of brings it down is his lineup projected lineup spot. So he's projected to be sure. seventh. It sure. is the Astros, but it is fewer plate appearances. If you're hitting seventh, um, even on the Braves, it's still f- yep. fewer plate appearances, but it's not as bad because it's the Astros. And he couldn't move up like if Altuve gets hurt again or Bregman. 
I, I, I could see him going to the top of the lineup, which is very likely, but I mean, you don't want to bank on it, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, you're, we're going to find guys like this all the time where yeah. any projections going to be lower on them than you think you're going to find someone at some point. So, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't get too discouraged if you're taking them, but, um, it's like, like it's in the back of your mind now. hundred percent. And it's just where he's going in drafts, like other outfielders, Teoscar Hernandez right by him. I'll take my chance on, T, on Chaz just for the, the speed upside. The one that's really tough for me, though, for just outfield only, Chaz versus Riley Green. Who do you trust more? You know, Chaz, better situation. Riley Green, may, better team situation. Riley Green, probably top of the order. And that Tigers lineup's getting better. So that that's a fun one. And I think Riley Green has a much better projection as well. So we'll have to kind of wait and see on that. Who are your next two? Because these are two young guns that will cause all kinds of ruckus right now. <laughs> yeah, ones that have been in the news lately, other ones not so much. And I picked out Noel V. Marte and Jackson Churio. Um, these are more of a negative aspect, I would say, um, as opposed to positive. Uh, let me find them here. So according to Steamer's projections and the Z-scores, Noel V. Marte is projected for hitter 157. Jackson Churio is hitter 160. I saw them back to back, and this is kind of what caught my eye. So when you go by ADP, this is all draft. I filtered out when I wrote this down for all draft champions. Uh, Marte is hitter 84, so it's about half of what his projection says he will be. And Churio is hitter 127. Um, I think Churio's is climbing because this is accounts for before he signed the contract, and that only happened like a week ago, I think, or something. So he has he's going to move up from 127, I think. But, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of goes back to that rookie bias i guess that i have um and even the projections that's kind of where it stems from too is uh and i know you guys talk about it all the time too like i'll believe it when i see it almost or you got to prove it to me first um if trio is going like around pre-pick 150 eventually I, I i don't think i don't know if i want to take him there maybe on one team um but like the Marte pick like they don't like him at all i don't i had to look at let's see what i what he's got here so he had a high ground ball rate, but for his profile, like a steals guy, it's it's not the worst thing. You could probably want that versus like a fly ball, like a high fly ball percentage. It's 52 ground ball rate versus 24 for fly ball. But I think that means he's hitting a decent amount of line drives too in between, which is fine. He had a good XBA last year in limited time, 296. So, and also in that lineup in the park, I could see why people are excited. Um, but Steamers is saying at least for Marte to maybe hold your, or like hold your horses a little bit. And um, with Churio, I don't have anything because he didn't de- debut last year. Um, so I'd have to dig into his minor numbers. Years old yet? <laughs> yeah, right. He's yeah, like he's he's super young. So like, okay, he's gonna get paid at least, but I don't know where where like where he's gonna play to get paid. Um, like he, he gets, I'm sure he can he can get sent back down like easily. And this is one of those hype things where I, I don't think I'll have either of them at all. But we'll see. Yeah, rookies are tough. Rookies are very, very tough between the two. I'd take Marte over Cheerio in a, in a, for this season, but I'm not a dynasty guy. But, yeah, it's tough. Very, very tough. For me, I'll talk about a guy we talked about earlier, Heimer Candelario. Uh, this projection will clearly change when they update the – I think clearly change when they update all the Cincinnati projections and everything like that. But for now, you know, coming off a career season, that's why I was really surprised to see this projection. Played 140 games, 22 homers, eight stolen bases. Uh, all those uh, homers and steals, career highs, 70 RBIs, a career high, 77 runs scored, uh, second best of his career at 251, best average since 2020. And that shortened season, best average since 2020 or 2017, if you want to talk full seasons. Um, it, it's just been, it was a great year for Candelario. And now he goes to Cincinnati and they project him for fewer games. Again, I don't think it's for the Cincinnati projection in play here, 
The 21 homers, four stolen bases, 250 average. I think all that gets bumped up because uh, they, they could DH him even if they have to because he could be a lefty-righty part of the DH situation with Candelario. And then you look at um, his ADP, it's 259 as, as high as 236. That'll, that, that'll climb, obviously. That'll climb a lot, I think, going to Great American Small Park Show. Uh, like they, they're comparing him right now, like the Max Keplers of the world, MJ Melendez, Brennan Rogers. Uh, that's obviously going to go up to me. So this is the time to kind of take advantage of it before it gets crazy for those that use projections only. But I think most know he's in Cincinnati. So don't don't believe the projections. What I'm trying to say with Heimer Candelario. They're actually even being kind because he he's hit her 134 to them, and in, in terms of ADP, he's hit her 166 for yeah, all draft champions. So. so actually, they're being yeah, they're being nice to him. Actually, like you're saying. So yeah. we'll wait and see. But yeah, I think that one's going to come up a little bit when we see the update there. I can't wait to hear what you have to say on this one. Bring the catchers to the table, Ben. It's all yours. Well, actually, yeah, it's, it's the first two of the last three. The last three players are all catchers, of yep. which is very fitting for you, Bubba. So. And then I told you, like, you texted me laughing when you saw it. I'm like, I, I did everything in my power. I did not want to put my last guy on there, but I did. So we'll talk yeah. about him. But who are your two real quick? Yeah, so I have another comparison. Uh, I chose William Contreras, Bubba's boy, and uh, JTR, Toby's boy. So yeah, um, that wasn't intentional at the time, but now that I'm saying that, it's kind of funny that I picked those two catchers. Um, Whoa! I just looked at the Z scores on one of them. <laughs> yes, oh yeah, so yeah. So again, yeah. So looking at the steamer Z scores, William Contreras is projected to be catcher one. Um, his ADP is catcher four in draft champions, and JTR is catcher eight in steamer Z scores with an ADP of catcher two. So they're flip flopped, and JTR is getting overdrafted according to the projections. Um, and going to last year, he his projection was actually pretty spot on. He was someone that when we did the re- review, I kind of identified. And I, I forget if we talked about him, but it was very close to being um, accurate. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be accurate again this year, JTR's projection, but it, it's, it'll be in that range. So the problem with JTR is his runs and RBIs are pretty low, and his average is pretty low too. Um, you always think with JTR, he's going to have a ton of plate appearances, so he's going to have a ton of runs, especially hitting in the heart of the order wherever he plays, but he's projected for 58 runs, 17 homers, which is nice, 63 RBIs, which is like middle of the pack for catchers. He still has those 13 steals, which sets him apart, but his average is for 252, which is basically league average. And according to the Z score, it slightly hurts um, your roster if you're uh, doing something like that. But on the positive side, Contreras is projected for a hitter 58, which is like with a, with all good starting caliber players at other positions. They have him for 86 runs, 25 homers, 81 RBI, five steals even, and a 273 average, which is a very big positive when you uh, weighted out with the Z scores. So um, right now, NFBC drafters have it, have it backwards apparently. But uh, I know you love William, so I'm sure you're fine with this the way it's looking right now. But I will say, though, with William, um, the power might be a little optimistic. I mean, I know he hits it really hard, but his ground ball rate was pretty high last year, 55%, low fly ball rate, 28.8%. Both are, are red on my sheet here. Um, but his hard hit, like I said, was 48.48.4% with a 91.3 exit velocity, which is fantastic. He doesn't chase a lot. So a lot of good things going for William. I think the big thing here, with especially with catchers, like when I draft catchers, I want to look for playing time. Like You're kind of alluding that to that with um, Moreno earlier and Yanner Diaz. If they're playing all the time, they're a lot more valuable compared to other players at the position. So I think that's a lot of where Contreras' value comes from which I believe that's what they did last year. So I don't see why you wouldn't doubt it this year, um, which has also been the story for real Muto, but I think they just think his skills are declining now. Um, he's getting older. He, he's played a ton in his career and um, 
I think people still see the steals in the name and they, and they expect more than they're probably going to get this year. I have a lot to say on this. Um, <laughs> But first off, you're welcome back on the show anytime with uh, the William Contreras. That's why. That's why I brought this up. I as if you back. weren't, as if you weren't already. But uh, <laughs> no, I did not pay Ben to put this on the sheet. So this is beautiful. A couple things. Um, the I think the Rio Muto thing is what made him so valuable before. It's everyone would point at the steals, which is nice, and he still steals more than most every other catcher, pretty pretty easily. But it's the gap in playing time is closed. And that was the thing with Riamuto. He played the most out of everybody, or nearly the most. Then you throw in the stats, and that's what it was. But now it's changed so much. Like just a, a little blurb from the the black book I got coming out is um, this past season there were twenty. And the universal DH is obviously the big reason here, but there were twenty six catchers that played over a hundred games. Twenty six, like that used to not be a thing at all in the past. There are thirty four catchers over eighty games. So. You're talking like more than like in a 15 team league with two catchers. There are extra catchers that are playing over half the games of the season. And um, there were 10 catchers with 500 plus plate appearances. There were 19 with 400 plus. And that just so that goes to show you the gap in playing time that changed so much in recent years. And I update that every year in the book. And it just stands out as it's just becoming more and more and more. The catchers are heavily used to get rest days, but DH still. And that says a lot of, uh, of what's going on. That's why the fantasy. Either A, you could go into the mindset there's more available to, to do. B, it allows you to kind of, you know, get your William Cherish as the fourth guy. But um, I agree with your William thing. I did want to say for him, from what I've noticed, and the reason I loved him last year was the playing time, like you mentioned, but you mentioned the, the, the power might not be there. The average will. For me, I think he picks, it needs to be one or the other. He's, I don't know if he's ever going to be both with him like when he hit a ton of home runs with atlanta the average wasn't there i think it's one of those and that's why they moved him up in the order in baltimore and milwaukee is he became more of an obp get on base guy where the power wasn't there that'll be the conundrum with william Contreras. but the overall skill set's pretty freaking awesome so i'm kind of that <laughs> i agree <laughs> yeah so i'm gonna go a long way away if people probably t- turned off the show by now but uh <laughs> not more like, catcher talk <laughs> yeah i'm gonna stop more catcher talk though this one's fun though for me it's, you know, my love for the nailers, but let's talk Bo Nailer here for a minute. And this is a hundred percent of playing time thing. And this is a, this is a blatant one to me that they just really, really missed. He played 67 games for the guardians last year between AAA and the majors. He played 127 games. Steamer hasn't projected for 91 games next year. Now given, I mean, I even put this down before the bet and court trade or the steamer projections are from before the bet and court trade. I think when they see, um, yes, Bloomfield, how did this turn into catcher fest? You're welcome. Um, just wait for our preview show. You're gonna love it, Bloom. Um, but Bo Naylor is with uh now Austin Hedges backing him up. This is the makings of 130 to 140 games easy in my mind. Like this is his job, barring just a complete and utter failure of production. This is his to run with between triple A and the bigs, 24 homers, seven steals. He had eleven homers and five steals with the Guardians hitting 237, got better and better as the season went on. So the projections of 91 games with 14 homers, five steals, 230, I think is blasphemy, honestly. And um, I can't wait to see what adjustments they make because literally they have him ranked right next to Shea Langoliers, and they are not the same fantasy catcher. I hate to break it to you. <laughs> it's like not even close. And um, even if even if Bo Naylor played 91 games, he's a better fantasy catcher than Shea Langoliers. So um, Bo is one that I think people need to take advantage of real quick because um, – if you really start penciling out 130, 140 games of Bo Naylor, this is to me, and I might be wrong, I might be biased, 
But looking at the skill sets and what we've seen so far, is a very, like this is your Yiner Diaz of this season, is Bo Naylor. That's what I'll say. I would say, well, yeah, well I think Bo had a lot more, um, like, uh, well, Yiner last year, like he was no, on no one's radar. Like, at least Bo has been out and he's played. True. True. Yeah. Um, but I, I see what you're saying, though. Like, so the, the at bat projection on Seamer is 311. So if he's playing 120 games, that's going to be like close to 500, 500 yep. probably. Um, their lineup on roster resource has him batting sixth behind Loriano. I could see him batting. You can move up. Yeah, it could be like the Bash brothers with him and Naylor. Um, yep. It, and, and the thing is, like, if you look at their bench, he's probably one of their better DHs too. So I think it's one of those where he's going to play. He might catch 120 games. He might play like 140 games, like hitting wise. And yeah. that's going to be tremendous in my mind. Yeah. So, like, he's, it's just, yeah, like for him, I know you're not going to really care what the projections say, but. For others who like to look at him, I would just wait and see like what adjustments are made to playing time. Um, yep. Now that it's just hedges for competition, like yeah, he's like a great 1970s catcher hedges, but yep. Naylor is the future for them. Um, they need the offense, and he can give it. He can provide it for them. I think so. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate that he's going as early as he is. Like no one's sleeping on him. He's going 167 hitter 103 right now in draft champions overall. So you're definitely paying a, a pretty premium pick for a catcher at that point but he definitely has the he has the speed upside for sure so that's why people like him and, and you like him for a, a, more than just that too but yeah. what what i'll say is he's not this year's he's this year's william Contreras, okay. where people know about him but he's gonna like you can draft him as your catcher i didn't even look eight nine ten whatever he's going right now i know his overall adp i would not be shocked if he's a top three catcher this year like just with the playing time and the five categories he can supply, especially with when they should move him up in the order. That'll be great. Mm-hmm. Any final thoughts of our little steamer exercise here is just for fun to kind of get our eyes on things and look, looking at your Z scores is a ton of fun seeing the, some of the comparisons they make that really like makes things stand out in a big, big way. Yeah. I'm glad I started doing it a few years ago. It's been really helpful. Um, especially once I made the move to NFBC um, cause, because the competition, you, you need to at least be on par with everybody else or, try to find an edge and I self helped me a lot with the looking at all the like the it's good it's good at quantifying a statistic or the projection into a single number like war does you know um I will say the one last thing I wanted I wrote down on the notes was Trey Turner Michael Harris Corey Seager did, did you see that one yes 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 yeah, so right now steamer has Trey Turner Michael Harris second and Seager uh his hitter 22 23 24 um wow. I think Trey Turner kind of picked me up or was what caught my eye and their ADP in draft champions is hitter nine, hitter 30, hitter 18. So according to the steamer and the, and overall projections last year were kind of down on Trey Turner. Um, that's why I didn't have him as like a number one pick. Uh, um, I had him like six, I think overall. Um, of course he bounced back like everybody knew, knows in um, August with the unbelievable second half, but um, they're kind of down on, on him again. They're high on Harris, which I mm-hmm. am Personally, I'm not the biggest Harris guy because of where he hits in the lineup, and I don't think he has like the ceiling of other early picks. Potentially, he's a solid 2020 guy with a good average, which is good. But that'd be better if, he's, if he was hitting leadoff for the Braves. You know, if he's hitting ninth, it's it kind of or whatever he hits, it's gonna take the little shine off of him. And then Seager is like just for comparison because they're all right in a row, and he was 18, so he's kind of priced pretty accurately. Um, with Seager though, it's the playing time, so they're still a little hesitant to give him full plate appearances because of his injury history, which is fair. But um, yeah. So those early, those first round, uh, um, Trey Turner's. I, I know Ryan's listening. Sorry, Ryan. It's not. It's not a stab at you because I know you took him in the first round in that DC. But uh, 
Um, this be I would be careful with Turner because like his, his, the projection is 94 runs, 22 homers, 83 RBI, 25 steals, which like we were talking about before is still good, but it's like in that bubble of steals now. And um, the average is only 278, so they don't think Steamer doesn't think that Turner's going to bounce back average wise. Like everybody else around him was like going 290s uh, in terms of the, the projections where he, his value lies. Um, Harris is like identical stat line almost, and then. Of course, Seager is you get the power boost at shortstop, but no steals um, and the better average. So it's a that was an interesting trio of uh, projections. Yeah, and that's what uh, that's what's fun about this. And, and you point out the Michael Harris thing that stood out a lot to me because that's the one thing about doing these early slow drafts is like I'll see Harris in the chat room. And I've never really been a Harris guy, and I'm like, okay, is ADP still here after last year? So I've dug into his profile and I saw that projection when it came out. I'm like, they love him. Like they like the projection is 25 homers, 22 steals. 85 uh, RBIs, 82 runs, a 290. The average really stands out to me. Like the power speed, okay, we could see it depending on what's going on. But that average, like, and it's 293, 297 the last two years. Like he's hit that well. But you mentioned the spot in the order, like roster resource right now has him at sixth. Honestly, I'd almost rather have him at nine if they're not going to hit him at the top because he can wrap around with the Acuna and company and score a lot more runs probably. I'd, I'd rather have that, but it might cut into his steals. There's a lot of what ifs involved there. But it wasn't. It was interesting to see Michael Harris is like they're still on him in a big projection wise, and I'm not saying they're wrong. This year was it just stood out to me. Uh, Bloomfield chatted in all good, thought provoking stuff this early. So um, that's the, that's why we do these exercises. It's like I said earlier in the show, it's December 11th. We're sitting here um, just kind of getting getting the wheels going, getting greased up here for the the strong 2024 draft season, but um, kind of pinpoint things as we can. But we're wrapping up there, Ben. Uh, any final thoughts overall? I know you're just getting going and things. The the hot stuff sells a lot of free agents to go. You reserved your contest. We'll see you in the online championship auction streets and much more. So any final thoughts as we wrap up? No, doing the transition to the auction. Well, it's going to be interesting because I'm not, it's my, it'll be my first auction. Like it'll be yours and probably Ryan's too and whoever else is. So they're getting more popular, especially now with the champions league qualifier that Toby brought to NFBC where the actual champions league, league is going to be an auction and that's for me to want to participate in that i want to at least try out an auction first you know and it's good for uh evaluation you know it's kind of ties in with the z-score process that i do um so it shouldn't be too big of a step but trying to figure out what the bid on a player should be interesting but um yeah like uh like you're saying i'm starting to get into it a little bit more and uh this definitely helped kicked off that process for me a little bit i'm waiting for free agents to sign so hopefully they can hurry up so i can get drafting not long after that but uh yeah thanks again for having me on it's it was a nice break to kind of focus on other sports for a little bit, but now I'm, yeah, I'm getting excited for baseball. Well, I appreciate it. And as usual, we'll be in touch and we'll uh, get you back on here in a, in a bit to talk some more, maybe when some uh, other projections come out or something, and we'll kind of get a real feel on how we want to approach things. But uh, for those that don't follow Ben on Twitter, it's breaking Ben underscore T highly recommend it. You can follow me at BD and everybody, this is Ben Fabella episode 615. Catch you all next time. <laughs>